on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Naughty Talk. I'm Sunny Lee Main, she, her. And today I'd like to start out the episode with a listener question. I'm so excited that we had so many this season, and if you are a listener and you would like to have your question read live on air, you can go to my website, sunnyleemain.com, and click on the link for Naughty Talk, and there should be a button right there that says, ask a question, and you can go ahead and fill out the form. It has a consent form, permission to read your question on the air, and a place to write that question down. Now, this week's question comes from Jay with no shared pronouns. Jay tells us that they are a sadist and new to the scene and asks if I can give some advice from personal experience. So I too am a sadist. I think I have always been a sadist and it took me a little while to personally own that label. I of course can only speak from personal experience. And so I'm going to give answering this question my very best shot. My first tip, as with any kind of kink, is self-exploration. I think it's important to answer some questions inside of yourself when you're starting out. What kind of sadist am I? Lots of folks enjoy physical sadism. Others enjoy psychological or emotional sadism. It's not just one thing, just like pain isn't just one thing. For me personally, for example, sadism is about inflicting consensual suffering. That suffering could mean physical pain, sure, but personally, I really enjoy psychological sadism. I enjoy fear and anticipation. I enjoy frustration and discomfort. I like watching the bottom of my scene wrestle with the edges of their own limits for mutual pleasure. I enjoy predicament. I'm a sensual sadist. This is something that I teach on often. Sensual scenes take all of the five senses and deprivation into account, and sensual and sadistic aren't things that, you know, are opposites. They are things that can coexist within a scene or within a dynamic. I'm a little sadist. I top really sadistic scenes in little space. I'm a primal sadist. I love to hunt. So a little bit of self-exploration in that department. And at this point, you might be wondering, well, how do I do that exploration? How do I answer those questions? You know, ask yourself what sort of things excite your inner sadist. You can read erotica, watch porn, attend kink conventions and classes. All of these things can help you determine which sort of things just do it for you. And in the case of classes and cons, sometimes you can also begin to pick up the actual skills you'll need in order to actually play out the scenes in a risk-aware way. Now, there may be a gap between what you find arousing and what can be played out with any reasonable degree of risk mitigation. So some things might, you know, feel like they are relegated only to fantasy, And that's okay. You know, ask yourself, what is the goal of the act that might be dangerous? For example, 
Are you trying to create a certain headspace for yourself or your partner? What is the goal? And then explore if there's a way to reach that same goal while still playing within a shared risk profile. You may, with additional learning, figure out how to utilize other things like role play or even hypnosis to take scenes to a very dark and sadistic place that you wouldn't attempt physically, for example. With hypnosis, I can hunt. I can do a primal scene where I hunt and actually hypnotically kill my prey. That's obviously not something I'm doing in a physical scene ever. And then, you know, once you're down this path of discovering what you're really into, you might start to have some self-doubt. You might start to ask yourself questions like, am I a bad person? And the answer is, you very well could be. But if you are, it's not because you identify as a sadist. It's important to understand that, yes, sadism has ethical and unethical forms. In pop culture, there are plenty of articles floating around that link sadism with things like psychopathy, serial killers, that sort of thing. But generally, they don't address the type of sadism found in consensual BDSM and lifestyle communities. The truth is, you can be a loving, caring partner and be a sadist. And, you know, all of this in the context of consensual play. You can be empathetic and enjoy consensual sadistic play. You're probably noticing a theme here that the key is really consent and negotiation. There's a very decent chance that there's another person out there who would enjoy being on the receiving end of the types of things that you want to dole out. As long as everything is negotiated, consensual, and steps are taken to mitigate the risk, playing out your fantasies consensually makes you a consensual sadist or maybe an edge player, but not a monster. If you inflict suffering on others for your own enjoyment without gaining their consent, on the other hand, yeah. That's going to violate for certain naughty talk rule one, don't be an asshole, and probably also a whole bunch of laws. Now, once you've gained the necessary education and skills to mitigate risk in the type of scene you want to play out, this is the point where you might want to seek a play partner. My advice is to be really honest and upfront about the type of play you're seeking. You know, if you want to do a really dark sadistic scene, don't minimize it. That's not the kind of thing that you want to ever come as a surprise unless the surprise is negotiated with somebody that you know really well. So, you know, share fantasies. See if there is a place where your kinky interests intersect. Be really honest and specific when you describe the experiences you've had or, you know, in some cases that you're still learning and that you don't have a whole lot of experience. And, you know, be really specific about the type of learning and practice you've done. If they say no, accept no with grace. You'll notice that this advice is no different for sadism than any other kind of cake. Now, everybody has a different threshold for types of suffering. Limits can be physical. Limits can be emotional or psychological. There are ways to sort of gauge this and feel it out with a new partner. For example, the first time I do an impact scene with a new partner or a new toy that I haven't played with before with that specific person, I like to ask the person to rate the pain on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is a yellow. Personally, my goal is never to push somebody to a red. So what I'll do is I'll give a light blow, and then based on the rating, decide if I want to give a harder one or not. When I aim to induce fear... I want fun, sexy fear. I don't want to dig up a genuine emotional landmine or trigger a genuine trauma response. So negotiation, discussion, use of safe words, 
are going to help you create a sandbox to play in. Again, really just the same as any other kink. Now, it's important to understand that there's hurt and then there's harm. Hurt is an intense and possibly painful physical, psychological, or emotional response. At least that's how I define it, and I would tend to define harm as something that's going to cause injury or lasting damage, things that are unwanted. So I'm always aiming for the first and working very hard to mitigate the risk of the latter. Just like anything, I talk about risk mitigation because it's not really possible to say that something is completely safe. Finally, my last bit of advice is that as an ethical sadist, especially if you're an empathetic one, there is a very decent chance that you yourself are going to need aftercare. And we talk about how important it is to not only negotiate a scene, but to negotiate aftercare in advance. And it's not only for the bottom. Personally, I like reassurance that the bottom had a good time that they enjoyed the experience as much as I did. I like to confirm that they haven't been harmed in any way. Depending on the situation, I might like cuddles or some other type of connection, whether that's conversation, whatever it is that makes me feel confident that the darkness of the scene hasn't harmed the dynamic or the relationship. And don't ignore these needs. It's okay to voice them and you really should negotiate these things up front. And remember that as the top or the sadist, which are not always the same thing, you can say no to a scene. If someone approaches you and they're like, hey, I'm a masochist and I want to do this really intense dark scene, um, but I'm not up for the kind of aftercare that you're into, or it's just something that you don't want to or feel comfortable inflicting on another person, you know, you're also well within your rights to say no thanks. And that person should also accept that no with grace. So I know it's just a little bit of an overview, but I really do hope that I have answered your question, Jay. And again, for anyone else who would like to ask a question and have it on the air, head over to sunnyleemain.com on the Naughty Talk page and go ahead and click the button and fill out the form to ask a listener question. Most adorable and not as sneaky as it thinks. It's time for Panda Pet. Next up, we have Panda Pet. It they welcome back to the show. Thanks. So today, I want to dive in right away and talk a little bit about something that's near and dear to us. And we've talked about age play quite a bit on the show. Things like it is role play or dynamic between consenting adults. Things like the goal is to take a break from adulting, to give and receive care, to exchange power, again, between adults, that sort of thing. But I think there's another stigma about age play that I'd like to dispel a little bit today, and that is that littles are inherently victims. Littles are not inherently victims. They're not even inherently bottoms or masochists, although some are. I think we make a lot of assumptions or the community sometimes makes a lot of assumptions about littles. So Mm -hmm. um, let's break it down a little bit and start with littles can be dominant with a submissive caregiver. (laughs) You wouldn't know anything about that. Not a thing at all. I mean, like, it's not like... You're going to get me spanked for that. That is going to be like... (laughs) Well, I mean, he's not the only one who's your caregiver and or partner. So you certainly have other people who are more submissive, even though you're still at least partially a little because it's just part of who you are. 
Yeah, I definitely I I identify as a dominant across the board, whether I'm in little space or not. I've never had a dynamic where personally it was like a hard like I'm the dominant, you're the submissive, where the submissive was like the daddy or the caregiver. But those dynamics exist. Like that's totally there are definitely um littles who are sadists who love to do fire play or like some crazy stuff and just love to giggle and be joyful and have fun with it or like be very gleefully sadistic you're skipping ahead but yes i mean that was something that was on our our list littles can be sadistic yeah and what did you say about like the more little i feel the more sadistic i get Yes. yes i think that is true in your case I think those are in tandem for you. <laughs> Not that they are for everybody. Some people just are a sadist across the board, so that's going to carry into whether they are feeling little or not. I mean, really, the, the point is with all of this, like like with any other kink, identity, roleplay thing, that you're really going to run the gamut here with how people otherwise identify you and, can't assume. Right. Yeah. And like so, 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 so many people make a lot of assumptions about age play specifically. Like when my girlfriend and I were at a convention together, I wasn't even like overtly little, but I was wearing like something cute, like short, like short alls and like, like a crop top or something and had like pigtails. And somebody asked my girlfriend later, how she identifies as an age player because she's dating me. And I was like, that's not how that works. (laughs) Right. Like, even though that's a part of me and like, she is going to have to somewhat engage with that because it's a part of who I am. She's not my caregiver. She doesn't overtly do anything for that side of me. It's just a part that she understands is there, but that she doesn't like, Mm -hmm overtly interact with right and i i mean all of us i think have multiple or many of us have multiple roles and identities within the kink community i am a dominant across the board but i am also primal and Mm. even in little space in primal space i'm a predator you know the dominance kind of runs through all of my other dynamics but i definitely you know have had relationships where there was nothing primal in the dynamic or where there was no age play involved and it's kind of about you know where do your roles and identities and kinks intersect with your partners and you know finding that sweet spot for the things that overlap Mm -hmm. but littles do not always play with caregivers that's not something that's required i think people assume you know, that littles always need some kind of caregiver or handler, but littles can interact with human toys or stuffies, with other littles, with pets. Little play can be solo play. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that the possibilities are really kind of endless. We interact little to little on a pretty regular basis, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. And a lot of littles interact little to little. I think secondarily, to people thinking about a little caregiver dynamic, they often think of a like little middle or little little dynamic, which like, yes, super fun. Littles and puppies in particular can get along pretty well. So mm-hmm. like littles and pup players. But yeah, I th- let's talk a- if you 
think we have time for it. Let's mention like a couple of the ways in which like you can engage in like solo. Yeah. I mean, let's break down some of the categories. Yeah. So, you know, you can engage in activities that make you feel a little by yourself. Right. Lots of folks, myself included, enjoy coloring. That's something that I do in little space that I also do to Mm self-soothe. Whatever it is, you know, that makes you feel particularly little, you can totally hang out in that headspace by yourself. And, you know, whether you're doing those activities or not, you can hang out in that headspace by yourself. Yeah. Or like, sometimes I actively look forward to when I'm alone in the house, which is kind of rare for me. Because then sometimes I will wear diapers, which is something that my other partners don't want to engage with, which is totally fine. I just enjoy it for me. It's a sensation play kind of thing for me. Uh, It's more of like bordering on the like dark sexual place for me, uh, just because like it's a sensation that feels good. And those are things that I do just on my own. Like I'll wear a diaper i'll have my passy like i'll put like an adult drink in a sippy cup and just chill and vibe on my own yeah and i mean i have done scenes where there is a mix i've done a scene where i had my partner at the time was sort of like a daddy figure and i was in little space but i was topping a very sadistic scene with a third person who was a dolly and the scene was like daddy has given you this dolly to play with. Don't break it. (laughs) It was very expensive. Don't break it beyond repair kind of thing. And that was very cool. And then, you know, like, I feel like we have very stressful lives and it's really Mm -hmm. fun. Like a lot of times when we have time to just chill out together, we pretty easily devolve into, um, (laughs) yeah, into little space and, you know, like there's coloring and like daddy takes us out for, you know, frozen yogurt with rainbow springs. And makes us dinner. Yeah. <laughs> it makes us dinner and like, you know, kind of like chaperoning a sleepover kind of vibe. And yes. that's really cool. And there are bubbles usually. Bubbles. Yeah. Probably a lot of hypnosis. And the hypnosis is where it gets sadistic because I happen to be a sadist and you happen to be a masochist. Yeah. But you also get more ridiculous, like the further we go into it too and like the more fractionated we both become yeah (laughs) so like one time we were doing coloring and with hypnosis i was suggesting that like no matter which color panda chose it would feel like it was the wrong color and the picture would look wrong and like panda (laughs) could borrow my crayons but my crayons had glitter and would sparkle on the page but if panda used them they would not sparkle the glitter would just not show up and then what else synesthesia right we did synesthesia we do it we did crayons as fingers or toes well because you got me you actually got me once i was like shocked because you slipped it right in there that my toes would like turn into crayons and they felt like wax it was so weird that was funny (laughs) um but what was it with synesthesia it was like when you colored with a certain color it would make make pain happen or like I think it was sound, was like, it's... but it would only be unpleasant sounds, oh, like discordant so sounds. You're right. I think you're right. That it was gonna be like clashing sounds or something like that. Yeah. Something like unpleasant. Something unpleasant, especially for trained musicians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually I think I wrote a story about one of those nights you on did. that life. What was it called? Oh not maybe it was called a little sadistic. 
It might have been called a little sadistic. And actually, you know, I've been thinking about developing a class called a little sadistic where we really dive into this in detail and probably do like some hypno demos and that kind of a thing with that type of play. Because I think it's sometimes hard for folks to envision a little being dominant or sadistic. Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of scary. Like, I mean, I can see why people would think it's like, concerning or like have a hard time picturing it but if you just think back on like how okay a toddler wants to get their way all the time and doesn't do very well with being told no okay if somebody is a little who identifies as a toddler age then they're probably gonna want to get their way and not be okay with being told no and that's Mm -hmm. a thing that you could play with and interact with Yeah, you know, my relationship with daddy, people ask, like, how do two doms get along? And that's something we're going to dive into in a different episode. So I'm not going to say too much about it. But one way we settle things is primally. And the other way is that even though I'm extremely willful and dominant, when we fold some age play into the mix, that is something, it's very much like a very dominant, willful, oppositional, like, no, I'm going to do what I want, little, and then, like, a daddy that is firm enough and, like, strong enough to take that little in hand kind of dynamic. <laughs> I almost always require some kind of physical management because, like, psychologically, like, yeah. you have a, very much a make-me kind of attitude. And Whereas for me, I need to be mentally or emotionally bested and i'm not super interested in like the physical grappling of it because i feel like okay pretty much anybody could probably overtake me in that way that's not interesting to me but if somebody can be wittier than me or outdo the loopholes that i find then that's where it gets interesting for me because i am one of those not willfully bratty but selectively bratty where (laughs) if I find a loophole or think that they missed something I will take the opportunity Mm -hmm. and I mean I don't I don't really identify I mean we joke about having bratty moments everybody does I feel like but like I don't hard identify as a brat because for me with our primal dynamic it's more about testing like are you still like the dominant in this sort of pack dynamic. It's more of like issuing a challenge, like a primal challenge to me is how it feels. Mm. And I don't I don't enjoy bratting for the sake of bratting or to like annoy or frustrate, Mm-mm. which is actually a really significant way to be sadistic in little space is to, you know, like brat super hard for the purposes of, you know, driving your dominant a little, your caregiver a little bit mad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there can totally be a sadism to that, that kind of a thing. Ooh, like when, when you have a thought, like you want something and then they get you that thing and then you're like, no, not that thing. I want this other thing. And just yeah, change your mind yes. on a whim. Like yes. that's the way you can be little and sadistic because that tracks for both of those kinds of identities. Yeah. For me, I think I'm, I mean, I identify as a sadist and I talk a lot about how I identify as 
very much. Like, I mean, certainly I enjoy hitting people with things. <laughs> I'm going to say that I do not enjoy inflicting physical pain um, because I do. But for me, sadism is really about um, struggle and challenge and frustration and different types of suffering that are not mm. always physical pain. I like to have a variety <laughs> of types of suffering to, to say. I like fear, that kind of a thing. And I think that the reason I've thought about it, that I seem more sadistic in little space is that little space is very uninhibited. Mm. So, you know, like in a, um, just like a regular dominant sadist space, you know, I'm very focused on things like I enjoy having a sensual scene and like attention to detail, that kind of a thing. And when I'm little, I'm chaotic. So like, it's like I take the control off the sadist Mm -hmm. and let it just have a free reign in a very like whimsical kind of fucked up way. Yeah, I was gonna say whimsical. Yeah, like, that's a big part of it is that you kind of let your whimsy fly in a way where you're like, I don't care if this makes sense, you're gonna figure it out in your brain. And that can be really fun if you're okay with playing with ambiguous language mm-hmm. and kind of doing a fuck around and find out where, like, there is no right reaction. Like, there is no right response. And that can be a really freeing way to play. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, it feels, you know, when I top a scene, like a regular sort of sensual BDSM scene, and I'm not in little space you know, control and precision and all of those things, like those are very important to me. Mm. And I, but I still like, I like gamified things. I like predicament. Like there is a sort of like a different, I don't know if I want to say like elevated, but like a more mature version of it. Mm. That's probably the best way. You know, like I love to do things where I, have the bottom make a choice because then I like to taunt them and remind them that they chose their own fate, that like this thing is happening because they picked it, like because they asked for it. I get a kick out of that. So I love things that are gamified or where there's a predicament involved. And I'm like, well, you chose to do that to yourself. So I definitely think that those things are not terribly different Mm -hmm. in little space, you know, versus not. But I think because I just... I'm able to let go of the control in such a freeing way. It's that's where it becomes like very little and whimsical and chaotic and fun in a totally different headspace. Yeah. So I just wanted to go back to where you started quickly, which is just that littles are not victims. So we did start talking more about that littles can be sadists, littles can be tops, which I think is more like not universally understood, but certainly within the age players of the community is a little more understood. But there is a really broad assumption that littles are littles, or age players are age players, because we must have traumatic childhoods, and that we need to like reinvent these childhoods or like enact something out in some kind of therapeutic way because sure kink isn't therapy and we say that all the time but it can be therapeutic but like that's also not always going to be the case and right i mean in some cases i definitely think that there are people who feel this kind of play is sort of like reclamatory of 
you know, um, a childhood that they didn't get to have that Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Like maybe they missed a lot of opportunities. They didn't get to do certain things as a child and they can explore them now as an adult and enjoy them, you know, in that headspace, that kind of a thing. Or, you know, some people do feel that it is personally helpful for coping with their trauma. And Mm -hmm. as long as everything is negotiated and consented to, you know, that's okay. But not everybody who enjoys little space has a traumatic past. Right. Not all of us have that experience. Um, This is something I ran across when I was doing like a little advertisement for Beguiled, where I'm going to be teaching an age play and hypnosis class with Hypnostory. And somebody in the chat mentioned something about like, difficult childhoods or difficult pasts or like something like that and how they're really interested to hear about it and I was like hey like if that's what you're looking for this ain't gonna be it because I had a fantastic childhood and I still have an amazing relationship with my biological parents and family and none of that factors into it for me really for me it was kind of just a way to embrace how I already am and just how I already showed up in the world. So it's that like playfulness, the whimsy, the leaning into taboo because I identify as a dark age player. So that means I engage in more like sexual activity than some age players might. Those are all things that I kind of understood over time that I was like, okay, I just am a little like I didn't use it for a tool or anything. It was just like, okay, this is a part of my identity and I might as well embrace it because it's already there and have a lot of fun with it, which I do. Yeah. And I, I think it can certainly be like an opportunity for a do-over of certain things. Like when I was growing up, sleepovers were not a fun time. <laughs> like it, you know, I'm pretty sure that most people who had sleepovers as a child probably had at least one that was slightly dramatic. Yeah. But yeah, like, like our little space sleepovers are definitely the best sleepovers ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, and So, I mean, you certainly can, you know, reclaim or relive certain experiences. I've always loved to swing on the swings. I still love to swing on the swings. That's super fun to do in little space. Um, But that doesn't mean that there's like a heavy trauma necessarily behind it or that or that littles do not have agency. Littles can have just as much agency as anybody else in a kink scene. And I think that one of the places that I see the most stigma or the most concern is when the age play is combined with an age gap relationship. And those two things are not the same, but I definitely have gotten, I think like more side eye. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my partners who have been daddy type partners have been, you know, 20 years older or so. And I think the bigger the age gap combined with the age play, the more kind of like, you know, what's going on here type of questions we would get. Right. And I mean, I have always, even not in little space, preferred older partners. Me too. I just like, you know, and as an adult, like I was not like, you know, in a situation where I, I can't ever think of a time in my life where I feel like my relationship was 
like predatory or something specifically because of the age. No. Definitely had some toxic relationships, but the age difference was not what made them yeah. toxic. In fact, the worst, like the most unhealthy relationships I've probably had were with people who were my age. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always skewed in life towards people who are older than me because that's who I feel more kinship with. Yeah. And, you know, people are like, well, that's creepy. And I'm like, why is it creepy? Like, I'm in my 30s. <laughs> I'm right. clearly an adult human being. You, I hate saying that, but yes, I am, you know, still in the first half of my 30s. <laughs> but I am in my 30s, you know, or even like when I was in my 20s, like that is. I was an adult, fully formed human being, yeah. capable of agency, capable of consent, capable of making choices about my own body and my partners. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after a certain point, your brain is fully developed and capable of making full adult decisions with, yeah. you know, full force executive functioning. And at that point, you know, it kind of ceases to matter, I think. Yeah. And I think the only time in my life that being an age player has ever even factored into anything unhealthy was when like I called a previous partner like daddy and how like had that like it wasn't a serious like kind of daddy like any kind of kink thing it was just like a kind of playful kind of like pet name and he didn't like it but didn't tell me that for a long time and so like that's the only time really I can remember that it was unhealthy for me. Oh, I can well, there was one other time, but that was literally because a partner assumed that I wanted them to be my mommy when I made zero indications that that was the case. The only indication that she seemed to pick up on and stick to is that I was sometimes a little around her. But that's just something that's going to happen with my partners because it's part of who they are. Yeah. And I mean, to me, that is still not like a predatory or it's just a miscommunication. It's, yeah. you know, a breakdown in communication between adult partners. Yeah. That's the only time that I've had problems with age play at all was a miscommunication and assumptions, mm -hmm. not like anything predatory at all. Yeah. So, I mean, you can be a little and you can be a sadist, a dominant, you know, maybe you're a little who likes to play with dollies or likes to play with toys mm -hmm. and that can be a dynamic on its own you know that sort of thing there are so many different varieties i feel like yeah of of little spaces and little and because it's as individual as each individual person you know you can ask 10 littles about their other types of roles and identities and personality type and you're going to get 10 different answers mm -hmm. So I guess the moral of our, our episode today is don't assume. Don't make assumptions. Continuing to dispel myths about age play. Yeah. And and you know what? Personally, I like scenes with contrast. Like I like a good mind fuck. Mm. And there is something about walking into a room in a like ruffled pink frilly little or dolly dress and then like consensually beating the shit out of somebody <laughs> that just does it for me you know like yeah. i feel like it's like a mind fuck to look like i have my dungeon bag is like a pink glitter rainbow sparkly <laughs> bag and in it is like it's basically full of implements of suffering so i don't know maybe i'm fucked up i don't think you're more or less fucked up than any of us babe I think it's just a different flavor. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I appreciate contrast. It's the same thing between, you know, giving someone a lollipop while you give them pain. I love that. And so little yeah. space when I am sadistic, it gives me that. 
Yeah. Contrast. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to us ramble about something that's important to us. Yeah. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Thanks as always for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnyleemaine.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.